Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Now here's Pastor Barry. Good morning, North Sound family. Great to be with you again today. We're continuing our series this morning, uh, doing a new thing as we begin a new year. And today we're going to talk about the power of habit. So we've been talking about coming into relationship with Jesus, entering the kingdom of God, the work that God has called us to. And it could be likened to coming up to a riverbank. So you've entered into the kingdom, you've chosen to follow Jesus, you're a new believer, and you look across the river to the other side, which is the place where we're completed, where our salvation is completed. And you can make a choice, you can kind of stay where you are and uh, just, uh, just snuggle right down there and kind of just hang on and enjoy God's grace till he comes back and takes you to the other side. Or we have an opportunity to do something about it ourselves. And what we do according to the New Testament is we enter into a bridge that God has provided for us to cross that river into that which God has for us, not just in the future, not just in heaven, but today. And so uh, I want to encourage you as we have this chat today to cross that bridge into all that God has for you as a result of your salvation. As you know, Tom Wright's one of my favorite theologians. Tom describes this uh, quite well, and I'm gonna quote him directly. He says, the goal in this life, this coming into the fullness of salvation, the goal is the new heaven and the new earth with human beings raised from the dead to be renewed, the renewed world's rulers and priests. That's, that's us. The goal is achieved through the kingdom establishing work of Jesus and the spirit, which we grasp by faith, participate in by our baptism and live out in love. And the third thing he says is that Christian living in the present today, Christian living in the present consists of anticipating this ultimate reality through spirit-led, habit-forming, truly human practice of faith, hope, and love, sustaining Christians in their calling to worship God and reflect his glory to the world. So friends, we're talking this morning about character transformation that prepares us to enter into the fray of the world around us. And haven't we over the last few weeks seen the fray and realized that we need to be equipped as citizens of the kingdom to enter the fray in the kingdom of the world around us? So how do we live this out? How do we do it? Well, how does good character position us to worship well and to convey the good news to the world? Uh, and get developed in the life of every Christian, every follower of Jesus Christ. Well, in good pastoral form today, I'm gonna leave you with, uh, with four ways of communicating this, four points this morning. The first one is we're going to look at the means of character transformation, how God actually transforms our character when we cooperate with him. The second thing we're going to look at is a metaphor of what that looks like. And then thirdly, we're going to uh, look at a reminder of the overall mission that God has called us to. And then finally, what's our motivation to do all of this? Why not hunker down 
and wait for Jesus to come back. So we're gonna spend some time together around this this morning. So the first thing I mentioned is the means of character transformation. Do you remember Sully uh, Sullenberger, Chesley Sullenberger, the pilot who famously landed the Airbus uh, on the Hudson River? Um, there's a great movie out, you may, want to, uh, you may want to avail yourself of that. I don't know if it's on Netflix or Prime or whatever, but it's a great movie. But what we saw in that movie was that Sully was able to do what he did, not because he tried really hard in the moment, but because he had spent so many years in training to be able to do just that sort of thing when the accident happened. And you'll see this if you watch the movie, the birds flew into both engines of the aircraft. He instinctively knew what to do. Now, this morning I have a, a 30 second video I wanna share with you that talks about this concept of training for change in our lives. Let's watch together. A very close call, could have gone either way. It was right on the line. Now Ferguson's not too happy with it, I can tell you that much. Oh, he's beating him like a rented mule. <laughs> and the ref's just tuning him out. Boy, where do you train to take a beating like that? So friends, character transformation happens through training, not through trying, not just sucking it up and trying harder, but for training for those moments in our life when the character is put to the test. And as we've looked at the area we call discipleship, or, or uh, it's really another word for uh, changing our habits for character transformation, what we're talking about is the habituation of virtue. That is making the virtues that God has for us a part of our lives by developing those habits that we need around those virtues so that like Sully landing the airplane instinctively, we need to live out our life and the virtues that God has for us as people of character because those habits have been formed in us. Those are the, the kind of people that God wants us to be. Now, I, I borrowed from the title of a book for the title of this sermon called The Power of Habit. And it comes from Charles Duhigg, who wrote a book called The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. And he found that we can change bad habits. Let's watch as he gives us a summary of what he's talking about. Imagine for a moment that you have a habit that you really want to change. Let's say, for instance, you go up to the cafeteria every afternoon and you eat a chocolate chip cookie. This habit has caused you to gain a little bit of weight. In fact, this habit has caused you to gain exactly eight pounds and your wife has started making some pointed comments. And when I say you, what I really mean is me because this is a habit that I had that I just couldn't kick. To understand why that habit was so powerful, and what it would take to change it, I had to learn how habits work. Every habit functions the same way. At first, there's a cue, some type of trigger that makes the behavior unfold automatically. Studies tell us that a cue can be a location, a time of day, a certain emotional state, other people, or just a pattern of behaviors that consistently triggers a certain routine. 
To figure out the cue for my craving, I spent a few days tracking exactly when the urge to eat a cookie hit. And what I noticed pretty soon was something interesting. The cookie craving always hit about between 3 o'clock and 3.30 in the afternoon. That was my cue. It was a certain time of day. The next part in the habit loop is the routine, the behavior itself. And for me, that was pretty easy to figure out. Every day between 3 and 3.30, I'd get this craving for a cookie, I'd get up out of my chair, I'd walk over to the elevator, I'd take the elevator up to the 14th floor, I'd get out, I'd buy a cookie, and then I would eat it while talking to my colleagues in the cafeteria. The last part of the habit loop is the reward. And in some respects, the reward is the most important part because that's why habits exist, so that we can get the rewards that we want. But figuring out a reward is kind of tricky. To figure out what reward was driving my habit, I did a little bit of an experiment. One day when the cookie urge struck, instead of going up to the cafeteria, I went outside and I took a walk around the block. Then the next day, I went up to the cafeteria, but instead of buying a cookie, I got a candy bar and then ate it at my desk. And then the day after that, I went up to the cafeteria again, but I didn't buy anything. Instead, I just talked to friends for about 10 minutes. You get the idea. What I was trying to do was test different hypotheses to figure out what reward I was actually craving. And what I figured out pretty quickly was it had nothing to do with cookies. It had to do with socializing. Nowadays what happens is at about 3.30 in the afternoon I absentmindedly stand up, I look around the office, I see a friend, I'll walk over and we'll gossip for 10 minutes and then I'll go back to my desk. The urge to go get a cookie has completely disappeared. The new behavior has become a habit, and I've lost about 12 pounds as a result. Studies have shown that if you can diagnose your habits, you can change them in whichever way you want. So what are the cues, routines, and rewards in your life? What habit do you want to change? The Power of Habit. Why we do what we do in life and business. Learn more at thepowerofhabit.com. Now, friends, this is good stuff as the Bible gives us some background in understanding what this means and how we apply it to our lives, how character change can be consistent with neuroscience but also opens us to the teaching of Scripture and the work of the Spirit in our lives. John Taylor read for us the key passages for us today from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read them again here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So transformation comes through the renewal of the mind, and so how does that happen? Well, we believe that the Bible teaches that it's through the way of indirection. So again, Captain Sully trained for hours as an airline captain, not only in all of the flights that he had, the experience he had, but also going into the simulator and experiencing in the simulator one engine out, two engines out, all kinds of things that prepared him for the future. And it's by training 
that we're given the power to change our character. It's the way of indirection. So how do we do that and how do we do it move forward? Well, the way of doing it is not a secret. It's been known for centuries. Paul writes this to the church in Philippi some 2000 years ago. He says, how do we transform the mind? He writes, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So focus your mind on those good things, not on other stuff. And then he addresses how this is, Paul, uh, Peter addresses the, how the, excuse me, Paul spoke in the one setting and now Peter also addresses this by talking about how it's lived out in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved through various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So over the centuries, there are disciplines, um, practices that we can engage in as followers of Jesus Christ, that as we engage in them, the way of indirection they change the nature of our character. We engage in transformation. And so again, for thousands of years, Christians for the last 2000 years have found these to be helpful practices. Solitude, getting alone with God for a few hours or even a few days. Fasting, where we give up food or we give up a pleasure in order to focus on God. Worship, where we focus on loving God. We specifically focus on that. Service, where we give ourselves to meeting the needs of others. Prayer, communion with the Lord, listening to his voice and sharing with him our hearts. Uh, study, learning about God and his word from those who teach it. Simplicity, where we can back off on the complexity of our lives and enter into relationship with God in a, in a simpler perspective. Confession, which is engaging in accountability with one another and with the Lord. Guidance is seeking God's will for our lives. It's really aligning our lives with God's will. And, and although God can guide us regarding important decisions in life, so much of alignment with God's will is understanding from the scripture what his will is and then making intentional choices to align our lives with his will. There's meditation where we focus our thoughts on God. And I wanna to suggest to you a good source. Uh, the classic source is Richard Foster's celebration of discipline and how we can learn the way of indirection for character transformation. Practicing these spiritual disciplines, again, I, I wanna suggest is found in the place of training, not in trying harder in the moment of temptation. And so at North Sound, we, we come alongside the North Sound family through opportunities. 
what you're participating in right now is part of that, a worship environment, an environment of, of participating in the teaching of God's word. But we find we need more, we need relationship, and that's why we do small groups. And, and right now, even in this unusual time, uh, small groups, care groups are continuing uh, meeting on Zoom so that folks can engage in this kind of relationship of growth. There are huddles where smaller groups of same-sex folks gather together and have an opportunity to learn and grow in that kind of a context. And then we encourage you to be mentored and to mentor, to be involved in relationships with others that help you to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ and where you have a chance to help others. We need grace and love to encourage others along the way. And we can then experience transformation in this journey. <coughs> Excuse me. So the result of this process is an increased alignment of our will with God's will. And when we align our wills with God's will, he gives us what we need. Matthew 6, says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Does that help us establish priorities for our lives? Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and the other stuff will come along. So as we've learned the importance of spiritual practices, of mentoring and being a mentor, of all of these things, what's a, what's a picture of what this looks like? Well, there's a great metaphor of learning a new language. The, the metaphor uh, we'll discover comes out of Philippians chapter uh, one influences this, but, but the idea here is that in learning a new language, it's a challenging, it's a challenging thing. Uh, many of you know Winston Churchill, is kind of uh, one of my heroes, an uh, interesting guy, uh, amazing life, some tremendous successes, some real defeats in his life. One of the things that he did not do well was speak French. And uh, his French was so bad that Anthony Eden, uh, one of his colleagues, would, um, would correct him. And Churchill got so tired of Anthony Eden correcting him, he said, uh, Churchill said to Eden, would you please stop translating my French into French? Well, perhaps Churchill's biggest blunder came one day when he was giving a speech in Paris. And he said this, Quand je considere mon derrière, je constate Gilles qui est divisé en du parti égal. What he meant to say was, when I consider what is behind me. But in fact, what he actually said was, when I consider my behind, I see it is divided into two equal parts. Uh, tragic miscommunication. But friends, character change is actually a lot like learning a new language. C.S. Lewis speaks of it this way. He says, those in whom the Greek word lives only while they are hunting for it in the lexicon and who substitute the English word for it are not reading the Greek at all, they're only solving a puzzle. He says the very form, formula nos means ship. Nos means ship is wrong. He said nos and ship both mean a thing. They do not mean one another. So when we, want to have, when we say these words, we want to have a picture of a dark, slender mass with sails or oars climbing the ridges with no officious English word intruding. So character change, like learning a language, is a journey, a lifelong journey toward good character becoming second nature to us. 
Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Our love needs to abound more and more. And abounding more and more is a learning process. It's a lifelong process of growth. Well, the third thing I wanna draw our attention to is the big mission. Uh, part of why, why we're doing this. Why do we engage in this process? Well, if you look um, at, at the history of North Sound, you'll find that we have something called the North Sound Wheel in which we talk about the mission of the church. And interestingly, it aligns well with the mission or the purpose of individuals. We, we borrowed this really from, from Rick Warren, who talks about the purpose-driven church, the purpose-driven life. And uh, it, they, they, the North Sound Wheel talks about the fact that um, we are to connect with other followers of Jesus Christ. Together, we're to grow in relationship with him. And as we grow in relationship with him, we serve the community of faith and we serve the community in which we live. And as we do that, we also give ourselves to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And the, the center of all of that, the energizing force of all of that is gathering together for worship. These uh, five things come to us from really two passages of scripture, the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment says, uh, when Jesus was asked the question, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, uh, and this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments, depend all the law and the prophets. And then secondly, the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Connect reflects on the fellowship that we engage in together. Grow talks about the, the discipleship, the Christian maturity that we've been addressing today. Serve talks about the result of how we engage in making a difference in lives around us. Share is the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. And as I said, worship is the energizing center. Without character transformation, without discipleship, we don't have the power that we need to fulfill all of the other areas of the purposes that God has for us. It's as our character is transformed into the character of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the changing of our habits, that we are able to be empowered to make a difference in the world. Friends, life is not a solo journey. We're navigating life together here as a North Sound family. Well, finally, we're gonna conclude by talking about the motivation to change. One February, Barb told me I was not very romantic. I wasn't particularly pleased with her observation. I want you to know that that February, for Valentine's Day, I got her a beautiful card. The fact that I got it for her four days after Valentine's Day is irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. Friend, friends, love is an important part of our lives. It's a big deal. And in fact, the only thing 
that can make us become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ is his empowering love. We return to the verses that we began with and indeed this morning after John reading it and me reading it already, this is the third time, so I think God wants us to get the message from these verses. Again, John 12, one and two. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we present ourselves to God, including the transformation of our lives as an act of worship. It's a, it's a loving act. It's a response to God's love for us and we respond in love to him. Worship is an act of love responding to God's love first for us. So the normal Christian life should be one in which we grow more like Jesus as the days go by. We can't do it by just trying harder and the motivation to do so has to be a profound experience with the love of God. Ashley Null is an American scholar of the, the first Anglican Archbishop Thomas Cranmer. You may remember a little of the story, Henry VIII was a good Catholic, but he wanted to get a divorce and uh, so he uh, decided to break with the Roman Catholic Church. Well, his choice for Archbishop of Canterbury, the, the, the first leader of the Anglican Church, uh, Thomas Cranmer was actually Protestant by theology. He believed in justification by faith. And so um, he, he had a profound influence, including the, the founding, as I say, of the Anglican Church. But Null said something about uh, Thomas Cranmer that so well captured for me the motivation of love uh, that when I first heard it, it brought me to tears. Here's what he says about Cranmer. He says, Cranmer was convinced that guilt, fear, shame, duty, and pride have no power to enable you to say no to sin. Because the only thing that gives you the power to say no to sin is not shame, duty, fear, guilt, and pride, it's love, loving God more than sin. So how in the world do you so fall in love with God that you're able to actually have your heart changed so that you begin to act differently as a result? Because for Cranmer, for him, what the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. The reason, friends, that I was so emotionally moved by what for some may seem just a, a prosaic paragraph was that the the description here so profoundly answers the question of spiritual growth, particularly why? Why do we wanna grow spiritually? Well, what's being said here is that we wanna stop sinning and what the heart loves, the will chooses. And so as uh, we love God, why, how do we become like Jesus? And why do we wanna become like Jesus? Well, we engage in the arduous process of transformation of our lives because we love God and we wanna do what pleases the one that we love. A number of years ago, there was a movie called As Good As It Gets. Some of you may remember it. It starred Jack Nicholson opposite Helen Hunt. And Jack Nicholson is, as in many of his movies, kind of a cantankerous guy. 
he had some mental health issues and uh, he used to go to a restaurant for dinner and he developed a relationship with one of the servers uh, in that restaurant uh, played by Helen Hunt. And the reason, of course, was that she was so consistently kind to him when others were not. And so at one point he got up his courage and invited her for a date. And so they went out to dinner together and in the course of the conversation they had, he just about blew everything before giving her an amazing compliment. Let's watch together. Okay. Now, I got a real great compliment for you, and it's true. I'm so afraid you're about to say something awful. Don't be pessimistic. It's not your style. Okay. Here I go. Clearly a mistake. I've got this, what, ailment. <laughs> My doctor, a shrink that I used to go to all the time, he says that in 50 or 60% of the cases, a pill really helps. I hate pills. Very dangerous thing, pills. Hate. I'm using the word hate here about pills. Hate. My compliment is, that night when you came over and told me that you would never... Um... Um... All right, well, you were there. You know what you said. Well, my compliment to you is, the next morning, I started taking the pills. I don't quite get how that's a compliment for me. You make me want to be a better man. That's maybe the best compliment of my life. Well, maybe I overshot a little because I was aiming at just enough to keep you from walking out. <laughs> Friends, God loves us. God loves us. And because he loves us, I want to be a better person. I want to be a better man. And because God loves you, may he motivate and encourage you with his love to be a better you as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today for the blessing of your presence, knowing that you are with us wherever we're gathering. And we thank you, Lord, for the promises of your word. And Lord, we thank you that you have a purpose for each one of our lives to draw us to yourself. And you love us so much but you love us too much to leave us the way we are. And so you have provided this wonderful pathway through a changing of our habits, through the fullness of your spirit, through the insight of your word, through the spiritual practices in our lives, through the fellowship and relationship with the body of Christ to see our characters transformed, that we may continually be better servants for your kingdom and for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen.
And friends, now let's be dismissed with God's blessing. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and forevermore. Amen.